0: And welcome to Happy Place. I'm Fern Cotton, and well, we've done a few of these now, and I'm always amazed when I write the emails who will respond and say, Yes, I'll come on your podcast. So, imagine my
1: surprise when this ends up happening. So I think it helps for people who are in the public eye to say, hey, I messed up. I, I, you know, I had a tough, you know, tough time of it. It wasn't always, you know, easy just because you see someone like me on a stage speaking. That doesn't mean that, you know, I was uh, born being able to do that. It's hard. And, And that's part of the appeal of a lot of these women because they try and fail all the time. Yes, that's former Secretary of State, Senator, Presidential Candidate and
0: First Lady, Hillary Rodham Clinton, and her daughter, Chelsea Clinton. We are making podcast history, people. If you want to hear what drives two of the most influential women in the world, you need to stay
1: listening.
0: currently sat in a very swishy boardroom in a hotel um, basement level because a train goes over my head about every 20 seconds so that's going to be fun to mitigate and I am really buzzed up like beyond excited I've been thinking about this moment for quite a few weeks ever since I received a green light that this podcast was actually happening um I mean what is going on it is bizarre to think that, this little scruff bag from the suburbs of Northwest London is about to sit with Secretary Clinton and her daughter Chelsea. It's beyond surreal, and I really wish they would hurry up and come down because I can't wait another minute. Good
1: morning. Good morning, Good morning, morning. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. What a bright room. I love this. I'm
0: well look thank you for your your time this morning i'm so thrilled to be sat here with you i absolutely love the book gutsy women i love the word gutsy i think it's a fine choice to describe strong women who can often be seen i guess in a a negative light or they're seen as edgy or dangerous but gutsy feels very positive what was your thinking behind
1: choosing that word Well, you are absolutely right. We think of Gutsy as being very positive. And we kept talking about these women whose stories inspired us from the past and current uh, times as well. And we kept describing them as Gutsy. Of course, they were inspirational. They were courageous. They were resilient. They were all of those. But there was something about Gutsy that captured uh, the essence of these women who would get up and keep going after terrible setbacks and tragedies in their own lives or in their communities or their countries. And uh, for Chelsea and me, uh, it just really summarized what we were trying to convey with these stories, because we want people to think not only about these women, but all the gutsy women you know, Mm -hmm. and how we can all be gutsier Mm -hmm. on behalf of not just ourselves, but each other and making a positive difference in the world.
0: Well, this is it, because I I guess sometimes we imagine there's less disparity between the genders these days in parts of the world. But of course, that is absolutely not true in other parts of the world, cultures, groups of people. How impactful do you think hearing other people's positive, gutsy stories are for those that don't feel like they have a voice?
2: Well, hopefully there is kind of some element of Uh, These stories that resonate with everyone, partly because representation was really important to us. I mean, we wanted the stories in this book to look and feel and sound like women today. I mean, even the stories from the past that we find so kind of meaningful or in part so meaningful because they're still relevant today. Um, And it was hugely important for us to include not only women who had kind of um, been gutsy in different ways kind of in politics and the arts kind of in sports um, who had kind of come from different backgrounds who were kind of different kind of races and religions but also of different abilities it was really important to us to include disabled women as well because um, we know that hundreds of millions of people around the world maybe even a billion people around the world kind of you know, are not um, abled in the way that the three of us are here today um, and we just need to make that more visible too Mm. so we hope that everyone feels like there is something that they can connect to um, whether it is biographical or achievement or aspirational um, because we certainly find all these women gutsy, and even if you don't find all of them gutsy, hopefully you find at least some of them gutsy in a way that <laughs> resonates. And just
0: all the stories are so interesting. There's such diversity and a, and a richness of, of like you say, background and ability in it, and it is so fascinating to read. Um, at the beginning of the book, Secretary Clinton, you talk about having a mum who fit the mould of a 1950s housewife, yet she still encouraged you to think outside the box growing up. Did you recognise
1: that when you were younger? I didn't when I was a really little girl, when she was doing uh, so much to take me to the public library every week and pick out uh, books about heroic women, uh, making sure I read Nancy Drew, uh, the mystery series about that intrepid 16-year-old talking to me about women that we saw on TV or in the... Uh, Pages of Life magazine. But as I grew older, I realized that she herself had had a pretty deprived childhood. She was abandoned by her parents. She was rejected by her grandparents with whom she had been sent to live. And by the age of 13, she was out of her home uh, working in someone else's home as a housekeeper and babysitter. And so she was always on the lookout for people who were not only inspiring and maybe providing role models but were kind uh, and caring. So that was one of her major goals, I think, uh, being a mom was to try to convey to us, uh, me and my two brothers, um, what it meant to get up off the mat when you were knocked down because everybody in life gets knocked down. Mm. There's no escaping it. And what matters is what you do with that and how you go on from that.
0: And Chelsea, how's it been having a gutsy female
2: at the helm of your family? How do you think that's informed who you are today? I think it's been hugely impactful to me. I mean, similar though to my mom, I don't think I realized how impactful it was when I was a little girl Mm. because she was just my mom. Mm -hmm. Um, And also I think because, you know, I did grow up at a different time, even a generation later than my mom did, Fern. And so while my mother didn't know kind of any women kind of but her teachers or the librarians who worked outside the home, you know, when I was growing up, um, almost – all of my friends' moms worked outside the home as nurses, doctors, um, journalists, kind of in business, kind of in a whole range of of professions. And so I don't think I quite realized, though, how kind of special my mom was, except that I thought she was the best mom in the world because she was <laughs> my mom, um, until I got a little bit older and I realized kind of how many kind of slingshots and arrows were directed her way and how she just kept kind of fighting for what she thought was right and also ensure that I always knew I was the most important person in the world to her. Mm. And so now being a mom myself, kind of, that means so much to me and in the best sense I think is equal parts kind of inspiring and intimidating to ensure <laughs> that my amazing. children know um, kind of one of the reasons I work so hard is because I want them to grow up in a much better world than we have at the moment. But also that they never doubt for a second they're the most important part of my life mm. because that is the gift that my very gutsy mom gave me.
0: And oh. so is, that is love. <laughs> that is wonderful. Um Chelsea, looking at the decisions your mom has had to make and and seeing the positions of power that your mum has been in, how has that made you feel? As I'm, a, I'm sure, a very protective daughter.
2: Well, I've always known, kind of, and understood at a really deep level why she makes the decision she's made for. And I mean, I don't think they've ever been ego driven. They've always been so deeply service driven. And I know that kind of everything in her own life has kind of pushed her always to look toward the future. Kind of it's never about kind of settling something from the past. It's about kind of what she can do. Um, And yet, of course, I do feel very protective of her because I do love her so much. And I don't understand why um, so many people don't share that just total (laughs) unabashed, unapologetic kind of affection and admiration I have for her. Um, So kind of all of that coexists together in my head and heart.
0: Looking at Burn, you're gonna make me <clears> cry. I don't yeah. want to cry during you're
1: happy uh, <laughs>
0: That's crying is fine. We're fine with crying.
1: <laughs> crying as is long great. as they're happy tears. Happy <laughs> tears,
0: it's a wonderful release to have. Um, the women in this book have all led and they've possibly been the first to impact feminism in a specific way in their field. As you were sort of collating these stories, could you see a common
1: theme between all of these women, values they shared, attributes they had? Yes. And that was what attracted us uh, to the idea of the book and then the women that we write about. In fact, we started with lists of hundreds of women who could uh, very well have been uh, subjects of essays. And we had to cut it down repeatedly (laughs) because what we were looking for is exactly what these women represent. You know, every one of them worked hard. They were persistent. They were intrepid. They weren't, though— and this was one of our criterion for selecting them, just working in the end for themselves. Mm. Uh, they were trying to knock down barriers for other women as well. They were trying to give you know, direction through their own lives, being role models uh, as they all became. And so when we were picking them uh, for this, we thought they represent a pretty broad selection of women who – we think everybody can find at least one and probably many more to be inspired by, to say, I can relate to that. You know, I I may not, you know, be an Olympic athlete or a World Cup champion uh, football player, but, you know, I have my own challenges, and I can learn from what these women did and how they did it. We have so many favorites in the book who speak to us because they are women of all ages. Uh, they are women who uh, we find— you know, not only courageous and resilient, but uh, there's a a, a determination about them. Mm. And we've asked people, as we've gone around talking about the book, to think about all the gutsy women they know. And most of them are never going to be in a history book. They're not going to be on the front pages of a newspaper. But think about them, because those qualities are the same qualities that we try to Uh, lift up in this book
0: and one thing that I guess shocked me in my sort of naivety linking all of these stories together was that all of these women have started off with a very positive mission they've wanted to create positive change yes yet the reaction to that has often been of it could be harassment verbal Mm -hmm. abuse segregation incarceration at very at the very worst murder yes why has such a reaction happened when, when in every story the intent has been good? It's been for positive change. Why is the reaction so horrific at times?
1: Well, I think it starts with these change changemakers uh, being women. And we know even today that uh, women who are leading uh, by example or in some endeavour Uh, just draw more negativity, uh, create more uh, static, uh, because they are stepping outside of what we still, unfortunately, view as the prototype of what a woman is supposed to do and be. And these women are barrier breakers, but often at great cost. I mean, obviously, we write about Malala. All she wanted to do was go to school. I mean, good grief. How commonplace, but how profound her dedication to education was. And she nearly lost her life over it, being shot in the head. Uh, We think about women who have stood up to incredible dangers. Uh, Wangari Mathai, who wanted to do something about the environment in Kenya and across Africa and began planting trees. She was beaten. She was uh, harassed. She was constantly verbally attacked. And you can go through these women and and find examples of uh, just the worst kind of treatment. And you think to yourself, wait a minute, why is that? And even today, Greta Thunberg, a 16-year-old girl who cares deeply about what we're doing to our planet, uh, and she started off as a lonely single person sitting in front of the Swedish parliament trying to bring attention to climate and call on leaders across the world to do more. And my goodness, she's inspired millions, but she's also drawn such... You know, ridiculous, absurd attacks from people who are threatened by this young woman standing up and speaking truth to power like she did in the United Nations, who don't think a girl should be doing this. So a lot of what we see in terms of the opposition to these women starts with there being a woman. But it also includes what they were trying to accomplish, breaking barriers, you know, getting into the rooms uh, where the decisions are made, uh, being absolutely unbowed by the uh, reaction to their efforts. I really think we all need a big dose of that right now. We're mm. living in kind of a crazy world with all kinds of weird things happening, and we're not paying attention to a lot of the most important issues, like, for example, climate change. And so these women remind us, you know, don't get discouraged, don't give up, keep going. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.
0: Is it perhaps as sort of simple and archaic as people wanting women to still be soft yes. and gentle? Yes. Yes. And that's something that of course we can embody both. We can exactly. You, you can be a mother and yes. a world leader. But people want it to be one thing or the other.
1: I think this is so deeply embedded in our DNA that it does take extra effort for women and men to overcome these stereotypes, expectations about what's proper and what's not. And as you rightly say, we deserve every opportunity to be fully who we are, just Mm -hmm. as every man and boy does. Mm -hmm. And. Yet we see constantly efforts to pigeonhole women. And one thing Chelsea and I spend a lot of time talking about and and certainly conveyed in this book is the way that men and society and culture and norms try to really limit women, limit what they uh, wear, limit what they can do, limit how they can speak, limit so much about them.
2: Well, I mean, you know, just even a few days ago in Japan, kind of the— Final, just frustration that broke out kind of online and elsewhere kind of from women who'd been told they couldn't wear glasses at work Mm. because it wasn't sufficiently feminine, Fern. You know, after just earlier this year, kind of the um, Japanese equivalent, effectively, of our Department of Labor in the U.S. saying that it was totally appropriate for companies to mandate that Japanese professional women wear heels Mm. to work. Um, You know, even... In the United States, like my mother and I sent each other the same article about a major accounting firm who did a training this year in 2019 encouraging um, kind of women to be cheerful and men to be strong as if you couldn't be both cheerful mm. and strong <laughs> or as if somehow one is inherently feminine and the other is masculine. Mm. So you know, these are not just challenges kind of happening in other Times or in other places, they are happening kind of in our world very much today and in the in the societies where we live and um I think what is partly so galling is that there was no kind of subtlety or shame attached to any of these um kind of edicts or trainings I mean it was all just done out in the open because whomever had kind of written the rules or kind of written the materials didn't think there was anything wrong with them whereas of course there's so much wrong with them and they highlight still while we've made a lot of progress we have quite a ways to go
0: yeah well it's so reductive all of those comments it's it is it's
2: not a good starting point for
1: young girls wanting to do something Well, well Fern I think that's a key point What does it do to young girls? Mm. You know, we've changed laws which have knocked down legal barriers uh, in our country to what schools you could go to, what jobs you could hold. Uh, So we've knocked all that down. But the fact is that these attitudinal barriers, these uh, stereotypical expectations are still alive and well. So we tell young girls, young women, you know, get a good education. Go as far as your talent and hard work will take you. And then we have all these other messages uh, in our own country, elsewhere around the world. Yeah, but you have to be, uh, you have to look a certain way, you have to dress a certain way, you have to speak a certain way. And part of why we love the women in this book is that each, in her own way, had to break through one of those attitudinal barriers to be who she became. Uh, And it is sometimes very blatant, uh, but a lot of it is much subtler. And I think that there's uh, a concern that I have about the mixed messages that girls and boys are now getting. Um, When I had hoped we were moving toward a time when – character traits like you know how kind you are how brave you are how sensitive you are um, how hard you work those kinds of traits were going to be uh, the way we really did judge each other mm. um, as you know dr. Martin Luther King jr. famously said you know he hoped for the day when his children and grandchildren would not be judged by the color of their skin but by the content of their character well I feel the same way about gender and Hopefully we get to a place and we've we've made, as Chelsea said, a lot of progress. But I am aware of some efforts to be, you know, reversing that project progress. You know, we have some countries right now that are imposing all kinds of dress codes. It's not just Japan. It's other places as well um, where women are being told what to wear. Sometimes it's for religious purposes, or that's the way it's explained. Sometimes it's for uh, a kind of uh, aesthetic uh, purpose. But in any event, there's a lot of backlash and pushback on how women are supposed to lead our lives. And uh, I, I want us to break through that. And I, I want this book to help us stand up to that. Well, well, many in this book have had to endure serious amounts of injustice, whether
0: Um, They're observing it or it's actually impacting them. And I'm imagining that you have both felt that in your careers and your lives. What I'm interested in is how you stop that turning into resentment and how you can switch that into a real positive impetus to do good and to challenge the things that you you see
1: are unwarranted. Well, one of the traits that these women share is optimism, despite what happens to them. And I think that's critical for anybody who pokes their head above the ramparts, uh, who stands up in any way, whether it's doing a podcast or running for office, however it is played out. And I believe strongly that you cannot let the injustice, uh, the unfairness, uh, make you bitter, make you discouraged. Uh, You've got to stand up to it internally as well as externally. And so for me, it's a It's it's something that luckily I was um, you know really inculcated with by my parents, and I've tried to do the same uh, for Chelsea and now my grandchildren. You know life is unfair. There's no getting around that. You know bad things happen to good people all the time, and so you can either give up and give in, uh, lose your confidence, uh, lose your your faith in the future, your optimism or you can say well i'm going to keep fighting against that i mean these people aren't going to stop me what what is going on here and I, and i and i think that's you know another of the characteristics about these women that we particularly admire
2: mm. you know, my grandmother my mother's mother whom she spoke about earlier had this kind of mantra that life's not about what happens to you it's about what you do with what happens to you and kind of just this fundamental um, optimism that she could give her children a very different life than she'd had i mean she was you know, born uh, before women had the right to vote in America, and she lived long enough to vote for her daughter for president. And wow. she kind of lived this amazing historical arc. But the reason she could vote for my mom um, was because of this not only kind of confidence, but kind of persistent optimism that she'd imbued in my mother and that my mother made her own. And you know, I do think kind of The optimism is the second unifying characteristic along with the gutsiness of the women in this book because why else would they work so hard if they didn't believe that something else was possible tomorrow, Mm. whether that's kind of on a sports field, kind of in a courtroom, kind of in a larger sense um, kind of for our our global community. And so, you know, I think certainly of some of the women in this book who have had – you know tragedies that I could never imagine losing a child, you know losing a husband, um, and yet you know get up every day and work so hard so that that doesn't happen to someone else. Absolutely.
0: And do you think then there's a correlation between being optimistic and actually all or most gutsy women also having to be accepting and forgiving?
1: Yes, I agree with that because. Being, being accepting and and forgiving, and indeed understanding human nature, which hasn't changed a lot. I mean, we have hopefully <laughs> made enormous progress over many thousands of years, but you know, things are still going to go awry. Things are still going to be disappointing. Uh, and you know, I, I think back to uh, some of the women in the book and. They had to accept the reality in which they found themselves, but they also had to keep dreaming about changing that reality. They had to forgive people and institutions that had betrayed them. You know, Wangari Mathai, who I mentioned earlier, among the worst persecutors of her were people in the Kenyan government. They wanted to stop her, stop her speaking out, stop her from talking about land grabs and environmental destruction. But she ended up running for the parliament. I mean, there are so many stories like that where, yes, you got to accept where you are now, but that doesn't mean you accept it for one minute longer Mm. than what you can do to help change it to be better. Um, I think about two women elected president, Ellen Johnson Sirleaf uh, in Liberia and Michelle Bachelet in Chile. I mean, they were both... uh, uh, in Michelle's case, tortured, imprisoned, exiled. In Ellen's case, tortured, imprisoned, exiled. So they could very well have said, why, why would I care about these people? Why would I even go back to those places? But each of them did, and each of them had to contend with the realities. I remember I visited Ellen Johnson Sirleaf um, when she was being inaugurated for the second term, and she asked me to speak to the parliament. And she said to me, remember, you are speaking in front of, of some of the very warlords who tortured, murdered, dismembered people. But we are trying to bring about reconciliation. And these are not people that have been arrested and sent to the war uh, crimes tribunal, the way Charles Taylor was, didn't have enough evidence to get them to that point. I have to work with them every day. You can imagine how I feel. Figure out if there's some way you can reach them. So, this is tough work, yeah. this work of change and ending corruption and brutality. Um, and it's hard because, you know, the natural inclination, and I feel this, is to say a pox on all your houses, you people who are uh, cruel and, and unfair and, you know, revel in uh, injustice and oppression, I'm not having anything to do with you. Well, the problem is oftentimes you have to work through those people (laughs) Mm. to get to where you're trying to go. And it is, believe me, having been in a few of those situations, it is so difficult. And you have to have your own sense of mission and your own moral compass. Uh, and, And there are some people who walk away from it, and they are totally on the outside, and they are totally agitating for change and they don't have to deal with the evildoers as they as they view them. But then many of us are trying to figure out how do we change this? And you have to deal with the reality that you find.
0: And I think we can apply that to our own lives, can't we? Even with difficult dynamics and relationships in our lives. Again, rather than shunning people or saying, you know, I never want to see you again, working with people and situations that we find very tricky. Um, How important do you think failure is within the model of being a gutsy woman, because I always fear, especially in the modern world today, with Instagram and how social media depicts life, that everyone's getting quite scared of imperfection or failure. And then that stops you trying because you don't want to fail or or
2: mess up in any way. How important do you think failure is? Well, you know, Fred, I think you also raise a really important question too around, you know, how important is it to recognize that kind of whether with the gutsy women in this book or kind of women in our own lives, how often what may be perceived as imperfections are actually sources of strength, mm, Absolutely. either because they're sources of, of empathy and kindness or kind of figuring out how to navigate those kind of helps us, um, achieve our original or maybe even sometimes a different goal. So, you know, I think about a few women, you know, in the book we write about Clara Barton, who was really inspired by Florence Nightingale, and she started the American Red Cross. Um, But before she did that, she was a nurse during the Civil War, and she confronted her own, what she at the time called darkness, but what today we would probably recognize as depression. And she spoke about it really openly with the soldiers under her care, a pretty radical choice and posture in the mid-19th century. Um, But she always said that that helped unlock something in them and helped them talk about what they were going through and helped her then kind of write letters to their families or helped her then enable them to respond to the letters they themselves had received. Whereas if she hadn't kind of been honest with herself about her own darkness, if she hadn't been honest with others – kind of about her darkness, she never would have been able to have those relationships. She never would have been able to help as many people as she helped. Mm. Um, Or kind of to your question about failure, I I think about Sally Ride, who really wanted to be a tennis player. Um, And she was very good, um, kind of played at the college level, but had to realize she was never going to be kind of as great as her... Uh, Ambition or her talents, kind of that her ambition and her talents were kind of not matched by what was needed at that time to really be a kind of professional success. And so she turned to physics, and that's what then enabled her kind of to become the first American woman in space. So she would kind of say jokingly, but I think there was a lot of truth in the joke that, you know, kind of a a frustrated forehand Mm -hmm. is what enabled her to become an astronaut. So I just think these kind of parts of our lives that might be initially perceived as kind of imperfections or failures are often hugely important to uh, not only kind of leading a full and honest and hopefully open life with ourself and our loved ones, but also kind of being able to have more of a positive impact in the world. Mm.
0: Well, that openness is so important. And I think because everybody does talk a little more these days about that side of life, that does create community and uh, people feel less alienated and alone. And Hilary, in your book, What Happened, you talk prolifically about your own personal failures. And I wonder if you feel that helps to sort of dissipate the potency around the heaviness that, that failure
1: can sometimes bring in life. Life. I I really do, and and you mentioned something earlier, Fern, about uh, young women, uh, especially interacting with social media and looking for or thinking they have seen perfection. You know, this idea of perfection is so insidious, yeah. and it undermines particularly young women's confidence, their willingness to take a chance that may not fully succeed. I, I mean, you can't tell how far you will go until you take that first step. And sometimes that first step could be the hardest of all. And I am just so worried that the false image of what life is like, portrayed on social media, is causing a lot of anxiety, stress, and even depression among young women. At least that seems to be uh, what is uh, now being reported and researched, uh, certainly in our country, but I would imagine elsewhere. So I think it helps for people who are in the public eye to say, hey, I messed up. I, yes. I, you know, I had a tough, you know, tough time of it. It wasn't always, you know, easy just because you see you know, someone like me on a stage speaking. That doesn't mean that, you know, I was uh, born being able to do that. It's hard. And and that's part of the appeal of a lot of these women because they try and fail all the time. You know, one of my favorites is Diana Nyad, the first person to swim from Cuba to Florida, which is a treacherous uh, Shark water. Infested. Yeah. Shark infested. Shark infested. do you not know, want to
0: do that. Lethal <laughs> jellyfish
1: infested. <clears throat> and she tried three times. She failed. <clears throat> she gave up. She came back when she was 60. Incredible. Try again. And that should give, you know, a lot of uh, encouragement to everyone listening who is <laughs> 60 or over. Uh, because it's, as she said, it's never too late. It's never too late to really go after your dreams. Now, that doesn't mean you just get up from the couch and go after your dreams. I mean, you have to educate yourself, train yourself, you know, be ready. Uh, But talking about failure should not be some kind of uh, taboo. Uh, It should be much more open and people more willing to share their own stories which in turn I think can give some courage to others I absolutely agree with you
0: before we wrap up I would love to know if there's one particular woman in the book that you really felt connected to when you were researching their stories oh
2: goodness well um I would say kind of in some ways a a bookend although they're not really the first and the last they're toward the beginning and the end I loved ballet as a child so much Fern and I was never going to be a great dancer, but it was just kind of the place where I felt kind of the most free in some ways, kind of artistically, athletically, psychologically, emotionally. And so I just drew so much joy out of researching and writing about the four dancers that we highlight, uh, each of whom is incredibly kind of gutsy um, in their own way. Um, uh, Anna Pavlova, Isadora Duncan, uh, Virginia Johnson and uh, just the inestimable Maria Tallchief, who was the first great American um, ballerina. And then someone whose work means so much to me is a woman named Frady Rice, who's trying to end child marriage in the United States, because I just find it unconscionable that thousands of girls are still married in my country every year. Uh, Many who are 16 and 17, although I don't think that's right, but some of whom are as young as 12 or 13. So I just am hugely thankful to her gutsiness and using her own story of kind of forced marriage um, to kind of force all of us uh, to really kind of be ashamed that this is still happening, and hopefully to then use that shame to be motivated to support her work in changing it so uh, no girl is ever a bride uh, until (laughs) she's a woman and able to make that choice for herself.
1: Absolutely. Well, I uh, am particularly drawn to women in public life who get themselves elected uh, to um, high positions or are, as first ladies, living and working and helping uh, in uh, the White House in our case. Uh, So every one of the ones that I wrote about I find particularly uh, inspiring because I know a lot about how hard it is uh, for them to have uh, run the gauntlet to be elected in the first place or to serve. But one in particular that is especially pertinent to us right now in our own country is, uh, well, actually two, I would say. One is Margaret Chase Smith. She was a Republican woman senator in the 1950s, and she stood up to Joe McCarthy, who was uh, a tyrannical uh, senator who launched these horrific investigations into people, uh, accusing everyone he could point a finger at of being a communist. Uh, and nobody would stand up to him, not the president, none of the male uh, members of Congress, until she did. And I just think of that all the time because, of course, I wish we had at least one Margaret Chase Smith Mm. right now who was doing the same. And the other is Barbara Jordan, who was the first um, African-American woman elected from the South. And she came to Congress in uh, 1973 just in time to serve on the panel that investigated President Nixon for impeachment, something else that is unfortunately very relevant today in our country. And she had a majestic presence and an absolutely compelling voice and was steeped in the law and the Constitution and what was right and what was wrong. And she gave a speech that is one of the best uh, speeches in recent American history. I think about them a lot in part because of what's going on right now in America and how their voices would be, you know, really welcomed in what uh, uh, is happening. Hmm.
0: Well look, thank you so much for your, your time and for writing such a brilliant book that, that all boys, girls, women and men need to read because it's really important and just massively inspiring. And and have a brilliant rest
1: of your trip in the UK. Thank, thank you, you so, so much. much, Fern. It was a joy to be with you. Thank you. Thank thank you so much. Perfect. She perfect. perfect. You now what now what is so what's the meaning that. of your tattoo? So this is a fern. Um,
0: <laughs> and you're a fern. You're a fern. Oh, I've got so many. We've got <laughs> is, is that a hummingbird? A massive thanks again to Hillary and Chelsea. A real honour to sit and talk with you both. Thank you so much. Now, if you're new to the podcast, hello, welcome. There's almost 50 conversations to dip into at your leisure. Just hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or ask your smart device for the Happy Place podcast. And if you want to find out who's on next week's show, do head over to Instagram for the big reveal. Find us at Happy Place Official. Thanks again to Hillary and Chelsea—we're on first name terms now—to the producer Matt Hill at ReThink Audio, and, and to you amazing people for listening. We'll see you next week. <coughs>